Good evening. It's good to see everyone here for our Sunday evening worship service. Once again, I want to say that I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here, to get to know all of you, to worship God with you, and to also present some lessons from the Word of God. I hope that what we have to talk about will be helpful to each and every one of us. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 6. We're going to start by looking at a verse here. As we look at the world around us, we can see that there are a lot of changes that are taking place. And one of the changes that we see that is very prevalent has to do with the way that we communicate with one another, the way the world communicates with, with each other. And we are in many ways involved with that in one way or another. And so we're going to talk about that as it relates to our duty as Christians, and the way that we can be a light in the world around us. I want to start here in Jeremiah chapter 6, because there's a call that the Lord makes through the prophet Jeremiah to his people. They had begun to wander from him and, and be unfaithful to the Lord, and he's calling them back before he finally judges them, and they are led off into captivity. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, it says, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. They had their answer already, but we see what the Lord is inviting them to do, and implied in that what he wanted their response to be, that they would turn back to him. They would turn back to the ancient paths, to those old paths, to go back to his word and to what he had instructed them to do. And today, brethren echo this same call out to the world to go back to the ancient paths, go back to the word of God, to follow his ways. And even with all of the changes that have taken place in our world and all of the advancements that have happened in technology, the way our society has evolved, this call is still made and still needs to be made to go back to the ancient paths, to go back to the Word of God. We today, and it really doesn't matter if we are happy with this or not, the reality is there that we are living through a big change in the way society is and society conducts himself and particularly with the way communication is done. There's a man named Brady Shearer who has a company that deals with church communications and things of that nature and he had a podcast in which he said that we are living through the biggest communication shift in the last 500 years. 500 years referring back to the time of the printing press and how that revolutionized society because now there's a new way that communication can get out there. There's a new way that those who want to teach and those who want to have an influence on others that they can reach more people than they ever could before. Well, today, for better or worse, we have the Internet and we have social media. And that has revolutionized the way that we communicate with one another. And while it is true that not everyone uses social media or uses the Internet, even though it is a larger and larger percentage all the time, not everyone could read when the printing press 
came out, and yet it revolutionized society then. Same way as we see with the internet and social media and how communication has changed. What we want to talk about here in our lesson this evening is that with all of the potential uses for this medium, people use it for news, they use it for information, for entertainment, to, to keep up with people that they know, with their friends and family. It can be used for good or bad. I want us to focus this evening how we can use it for good because this is not going to go away. The internet is not going to just eventually just going to stop working or social media just go back, go away. Even though it is relatively new, it's probably safe to say that it is here to stay. How can we use it for good? And I want to say up front that there may be those here who don't really use the internet and don't use social media. I'm not going to try to convince you to start using it. That's not my point in what we're talking about here this evening. And even if you don't use social media and don't use the internet, there are principles that we're talking about that will help you in your interaction and in your communication with others. Because really what we're talking about, whether it's the interaction we have with people on online, on social media, or the interaction we have through phone calls or letters or in-person communication, it all has the same principles behind it, how we are to be an influence for good. And there are different ways that we can do that depending on the circumstances we find ourselves in. And we're going to talk about all of that as we go through this lesson. But the first thing I want to establish as we talk about this and the reality that our society has changed and the way people communicate has changed there are certain things that have not changed. And these are things that will not change. This is why, as we just saw Jeremiah calling the people back to the ancient paths, and why we still need to call people back to the ancient paths, back to the Word of God, because no matter what changes happen in the world around us, these things do not change. God, as having His Word as our standard, that does not change. Jesus said over in John chapter 12 and verse 48, he talked about this standard that we have. He said in John 12, 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. That didn't change when the printing press was invented. That didn't change when the internet came to be or when different social media platforms evolved and developed, what Jesus said here is still true. The word that I spoke is what will judge us in the last day. Psalm 119 verse 89 says that the word of God is forever settled or forever fixed in heaven. That will not change, no matter what changes take place in society. Also, the world's problem, the problem of sin, that has not changed. That will not change. People talk about how our society is advancing, especially those who are approaching this from a worldly perspective and a perspective where they're just either ignoring God or they've rejected God. They talk about how much better our society is. And we might have our opinions as far as whether our society as a whole is better or not, but really what we're talking about here, our society still has the same problem. 
the problem of sin. Paul said in Romans 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That hasn't changed. That will not change. And the reason why that is a problem is because of what Paul said in Romans 6 and verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. Like, well, look at how much our society is better. Look at how much our technology has evolved. Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that the wages of sin is death. Man's need because of sin is still the same. Isaiah 59.2 tells us that sin separates us from God. That is still true today. It doesn't matter how much our society changes. It doesn't matter how much technology continues to develop. Sin still separates us from God. Over in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul said there, writing to Gentile Christians, he says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Before you obeyed the gospel, became a Christian, were followers of Christ, before that happened, you were not the people of God. You had no hope. You were not one with Christ. You were not one of his followers. You had no hope when we are without Christ. He is the one who brings peace. And he would go on and talk about that in this passage, that Jesus is the one who came to bring peace. Both Jews and Gentiles can be reconciled together in one body to God through the cross. Man's need for forgiveness, man's need for salvation from his sins, that has not changed. And so the solution for that is still the same. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus came to this earth in order to provide us hope for the forgiveness of our sins, that we would no longer have to be separated from God, that we would no longer have to be without hope, being separated from Christ. This is why he came to earth. The Hebrew writer talked about this in Hebrews chapter 2, Verses 14 and 15 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. The wages of sin is death. And so if we are separate from the Lord, if we have not been forgiven of our sins, then we have that fear of death upon us. Because passing from this life without Christ, without forgiveness, is not something where we are, we are going to be better off. The only way that death is something that leads to something better is if we are in Christ. If we have the forgiveness of our sins. The solution then for this problem of sin is found in Christ. And no matter what changes take place or what has taken place, these things do not change. They have not changed. They will not change. God's word is still the standard. We still have the problem of sin. We still need forgiveness of that sin. And that solution for that forgiveness is found in Christ. Those things have not changed and will not change. But we do have in the world that we live in the world of social media and of online communication. And this has given rise to 
what is sometimes referred to as influencers, that you have influencers on social media. These are ones who have a large following. These are ones who can influence people to do one thing or another, to buy one product or another, to think a certain way, to vote a certain way. We may not have a following like some of these influencers have, but we need to realize that we do have influence, whether we are using social media or not. We have an influence. And so if we are using social media, we need to think about what our influence is and not think that there's a separate set of rules for how we conduct ourselves in person with people and how we conduct ourselves online. One of the things that we need to remember, again, not everyone is going to use social media, and that's fine, and I'm not going to try to convince anyone who doesn't use it to start using it. But one of the things, one of the dangers that exists with social media is there's the temptation to think that, well, this is something different from real life because it's all virtual or it's all digital. And there are differences between what we do online and what we do in person. Worship, as we come together to worship God, as we come together as a congregation in an assembly, you don't have the same thing when you try to do that digitally. You don't have the same, the same atmosphere or the same arrangement as God designed it. And there are other things that we could talk about, but you have different things that are different and certain things that are different. But as far as when we use social media, what we need to remember that while we understand why some people say, well, that's not real life, we should not think that, well, that means the rules that govern me as a Christian no longer apply because it's not real life. Whenever we use social media, we are interacting with real people. And we need to understand that. And when we understand that, that means we're going to conduct ourselves a certain way. We're going to try to be the influence that the Lord wants us to be. And that's talked about over in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus talked about the influence that we are to have. And whether we are interacting with people in person or if we are interacting with people online, we need to be mindful of the influence that we have before others. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus here in this passage is talking about the influence that we have with others. He said that you are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? Well, salt make thing, makes things taste better. It acts as a preservative. What we are to be doing as the salt of the earth. We are to make life more palatable. We do that by encouraging what is good, by doing what is good, by helping others, by being a positive influence in that way. Encourage what is good in the corner that we are in. And again, whether we are interacting with people in person or online, 
in the corner where we are, wherever we happen to be, we should be encouraging what is good and what is right, not encouraging what is wrong and what is contrary to the will of God. We are the light of the world, as Jesus said here in this passage. We are to show the right example to others. We are to let our light shine in that way. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter talked about this also in verse 12, where he said, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. He's talking about people who may be hostile toward Christians and may want to look for reasons to say that you are an evildoer, that you are not who you claim to be. They may want to slander you as evildoers, but we need to conduct ourselves in such a way that there's no reason for that charge. There's no way that that charge could be sustained against us, but that we show a consistent example of doing what is good. If we are the light of the world, Jesus talked about how we are not to hide our lamp under a basket. If someone learns that we are a Christian, someone says that we are a Christian, or we say that we are a Christian, no one should be surprised to hear that. And we need to be careful if we use social media, if we use that type of forum. Even there, the people who interact with us should not be surprised if they learn that we are a Christian. We should be letting our light shine in every interaction that we have. We are as a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. We, as we talked about this morning, as we come together as a local congregation, we are a self-edifying body. We are building one another up. We are helping one another. When we think about our influence, all of us working together are able to be a powerful influence for good. And we can, as that city set on a hill, we can show the light from that point where others can see this. They can see Christ. They can see his church. We need to make his church through our interactions and through our teaching, through our influence, even what we like or share online. We need to make him and his church visible. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8, the church at Thessalonica was commended because they sounded forth the word. In their area, in the surrounding region, and everywhere their faith had gone forth, they were sounding forth the word of the Lord. We need to be echoing the message of the gospel. We need to be directing people to where they can learn the truth. And sometimes that's going to be by inviting them to a worship service or inviting them to a Bible study, or it could be by sharing the materials that the church is putting out and, and putting out on the Internet and on social media by sharing those things. We are making that visible, and we are letting people know where they can go to ask questions, to have questions answered about the Bible, and to get direction about spiritual things. Make sure that Christ and his church are visible. Now, as we think about the Internet and social media, there are a lot of different types of places you are going to find online. Just as there are lots of different types of places and 
and settings that we might find ourselves as we could interact with people in person. That's what we see when we look at the book of Acts. And I invite you to turn your book of Acts. We're going to be looking at a few examples through the remainder of this lesson. But as we look in the book of Acts, what we see is Paul went to various places, and not only Paul, but others as well. But preachers and disciples and those who were trying to spread the message of the gospel, they found themselves in different situations, in different settings. And in each one of them, we see a different way that they approached that setting in order to try to reach people with the gospel, in order to be that influence for good and to teach them. And as we think about how this world is changing and how communication is changing, again, I'm not going to tell you that if you're not using social media to start, but if you are using social media or for the efforts that are being done by a congregation in using social media and using the internet to try to spread the gospel, we need to be mindful of the type of situation that we're in, the type of forum we're using, because when we talk to people and interact with people in person, we need to do the same thing. And so what we're going to do as we go through the rest of this lesson, we're going to look at different settings and different places in the book of Acts and how these were used and draw a parallel with the use of the internet and social media and how we might use these tools, use these forums to help influence others for good. In Acts chapter 17, we read about the marketplace there in Athens. And in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 and 17, it says, While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. So here was, Paul was in the marketplace. But notice that when he was there, who was there with him? It wasn't any set group of people. It wasn't a specific type of person who was there. It was just whoever happened to be present. It was just a random gathering. It's like the type of people that you will see if you go to the grocery store. Everyone needs to go to the grocery store. Everyone needs to buy food. And so it's not a certain type of people or, or a certain group of people or anything like that because everyone would need to be there. Well, the same way with the marketplace, that this wasn't some set group like, well, there's only going to be this type of person who's going to be here or this type of person. Everyone would go to the marketplace. And so what you had here was simply a random gathering of people. This is like social media in general. We think about, about the place where we interact with people online. That's what social media is. It is a random gathering of people. Now, there are different subgroups in there. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But notice what Paul did. When we are with a random group of people, in person or online, how do we conduct ourselves? What are we to do with our interactions with them? Well, what he was doing, he was reasoning in the, reasoning there in the synagogue you mentioned, but also in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be present. He just used every day that he had and reasoned with them. Those who would listen, he would talk to them. 
Those who were there, he would converse with them. Those who happened to be present, he would try to use that time and maybe the only time he would have with them, but he would use that to plant a seed. We talked about in the class period this morning, the parable of the sower and how we scatter the seed over different types of hearts. We don't know at first what type of heart someone might have. As we get to know people, we may be able to help develop them to be more receptive to the gospel, but at first we don't know what type of heart someone has. We don't know if someone might be receptive or not. We don't know what someone is thinking. We don't know what someone is going through. And so we plant a seed. I read a book not too long ago, and I can't remember what the title of the book was. And so I won't try to say what it is and then get it wrong and attribute this to someone else. But I was reading a book about, it was talking about evangelism and how we can try to reach people. And the reality is that when you interact with someone, whether it's a coworker or a neighbor or someone, the cashier at the grocery store, if you can find a grocery store with a cashier that works there, but whoever you happen to be with, you're not going to, in most cases, in one conversation, convert them. But what the author of this book says, what all you're trying to do is put a stone in their shoe. You're just trying to make them think about something, something that when the conversation is over, they're going to keep thinking about it and keep going back to that and mulling it over. And that's what we're trying to do because maybe we'll have another interaction with that person. Maybe we won't. But even if we don't, that stone that we put in their shoe, that we are giving them something to think about, may lead to a conversation they have with someone else who may be able to take them further down the road and lead them to the truth. But Paul here, as he was in the marketplace, he simply talked with whoever happened to be there. He reasoned with them there. He used whatever opportunity he had, knowing that there may not, he may not see these people again, but he used those opportunities and we can do the same thing. But then in Athens, there was another setting that he found himself in, and that was at Mars Hill. Acts chapter 17, verse 18 says, also some of the Epicurean Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus or to Mars Hill, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you, have, you're, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. His interactions there in the marketplace led to this. When we are talking with people, a random group of people, or someone that we happen to encounter, we never know when these interactions might lead to something else. But on this occasion, it did. It led to him being invited to Mars Hill, to the Areopagus, where these philosophers were gathered, where they would come together and they would spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. This was a curious group of people, and they would get together regularly and talk about different ideas that people had. They wanted to consider them. They wanted to know what, in, even though some of them thought that, well, Paul is, is a babbler, an idle babbler, but they still wanted to listen to him. They still wanted to hear what he had to say. Even if they thought it was nonsense at first, they wanted to hear him. 
because they enjoyed hearing new things and thinking about them and discussing them. He found a curious group of people who were interested in different philosophical concepts and things like that. This is like the online groups and forums that we might encounter today in our use of the internet, that we have different interactions like this where you have people who like to talk about philosophy or they like to talk about history or they like to talk about different things. And some topics are easier to do this than, with than others, but we can use those groups and forums and again, this could happen in person or online. But use those to help direct people to the Lord and to what he wants them to do. How did Paul do that here? Well, Paul said in verse 22, he stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance... This I proclaim to you. Now, when we read that word ignorance, when we think about how we use that word today, we might think that Paul was insulting them and say, well, you're just ignorant. That's not what he was doing here. Instead, what Paul was doing, he was showing respect to them. He's saying that I, I see that you are very religious in all respects. I saw, I passed through, I saw all of your objects of worship. I know you're very religious. I know that you are very very sincere in this, that you are wanting to do as much as you can do, so much to the point where you are even putting up an altar to a God that you don't even know about, just to make sure that you don't leave out any God that, that might be out there. And so he's acknowledging that they had these positive character traits. But he says, well, this one that you don't know about, this is the one I'm going to tell you about. And he's going to show how he is different from these other gods that they worship because the God that they did not know that Paul was going to tell them, tell them about, he was the true God. He was the one who created the heavens and the earth and everyone who lives in it. But what did Paul do? He was willing to show respect for them, to build rapport with them so that they would give him a hearing. Because again, some of them were saying, well, look what this idle babbler would wish to say. And even when he, at the end of this, talked about the resurrection, there were some who began to sneer there in verse 32, but others says, other said, we will hear you again concerning this, that they were still wanting to hear about this and not ready to say that, well, no, I'm, I'm just going to reject this. They were still willing to listen. They were still wanting to consider this. This was that stone in their shoe that they were going to have to think about some more. But Paul used this curious group to help advance the gospel and the message of Christ. We have in Acts chapter 8, going earlier in the book of Acts, we have another preacher of the gospel, not Paul this time, but, we're going, but we see here about Philip and what he did. And he found himself in a forum or a setting that was much different than the other two. He was in the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch speaking with him. And it's verse 26. It says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he got up and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, 
who was in charge of all her treasure, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And then as it goes on, they look at the passage that the, Philip, that the eunuch was reading and the passage that prophesied about Jesus, but he didn't understand what this meant. So he asked Philip in verse 34, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? And so Philip, verse 35, beginning from this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Here was a one-on-one -on -one interaction that Philip had with the eunuch. There was not other people around. There could have been you know, drivers or servants or something like that, but the conversation was between Philip and the eunuch. And as he's talking, he's able, they're able to look at the scriptures together. The eunuch asks him questions. Here he found an inquisitive individual. He was wanting to learn more about what the Bible has to say. If we want to compare this to how we might use online communication or social media, this is like the private or direct messages. We could include email in this. If someone emails someone else and communicates with them that way. But it's that type of communication, one-on-one -on -one communication, that is more direct, can be more specific, more targeted to that person and what they need and what their question is. But that's what Philip did here. He spoke with the Ethiopian eunuch and directed all of his attention to what would help this individual. He answered his question. He showed him who this passage was talking about. He showed him who Jesus was. And he converted him here. He was baptized into Christ on this occasion. This is like those private and direct messages we might have in our online communication. And at least for, for me, what I do, I try to do a lot of sharing of Bible materials and things like that online through email and through through uh, websites and social media pages. I have a website where I post articles and things like that and a Facebook page for the church and also for the website where I post these articles. And I'm sharing things there all the time. And I get comments back on those, public comments on those sometimes, and and that sort of thing. But at least what I have noticed most of the interactions that I have with people who want to talk about the Bible, who have a Bible question, who are interested in learning more about things, this is the way that I get to contact them. This is the way that they contact me is through these direct private messages. Private messages through either the church's Facebook page or, or the other pages that, that I run. These direct messages are where I receive most of the questions that come in, where I'm able to try to direct people to these, to what the scriptures say and help lead them to that. Now, there is a limitation to that, that if someone is halfway around the world, there's only so much that I can do. I can help lead them to the truth, answer their question, do something like that. But as far as that goes, there's, it's limited on what I can do. There is a limitation there. 
But what we are able to do when we target people and people ask us directly, we can answer their specific question, show them what the scriptures teach, and these interactions can lead to those in-person communication, those in-person interactions, those Bible studies and things like that. And it could be that it may not be where we are. It could be if I'm interacting with someone from California or someone from Africa or wherever, it may be someone there who has to take it the rest of the way. But that can start through these direct messages. We can use those that medium to help teach others just as Philip did with teaching the eunuch. Later in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 19, you have, going back to Paul again, you have a couple of examples in Ephesus. And the first one here is a positive example of what Paul was able to do there in Ephesus. In Acts 19 and verse 8, says he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So here he was, he was using this facility, it was a public forum, and here he was publicly teaching the word of God. Now he had been in the synagogue, which would be similar, but the synagogue would be mostly Jew, a Jewish audience. Sometimes there would be Gentiles who, who would be present. But with the school of Tyrannus, you had a much larger audience that potentially could be there. And so verse 10 says, this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is an example of a forum where Paul had a far-reaching influence. That because of the trade center that this was, because of the travelers that would come in, and the interactions that would be that would be had there, you had Paul able to reach all who lived in Asia in this two-year period from reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. When we think about this influence that he had that extended far beyond the city of Ephesus, we can compare this to the web pages and the social media pages that we might use today, whether for a congregation, and oftentimes we might do that, the church will have a website or a church will have a Facebook page or something like that. People all over the world can access that. People all over the world can hear or watch sermons that are presented at the congregation. They can read articles that are published online. They can receive different teaching and different types of messages that are sent out. People all over the world have access to that through the birth of internet, the internet and social media. We are able to reach a large number of people through these efforts. And that does not mean that, well, we can just, you know, we're going to try to reach people all over the world and we ignore people right here in the community. We don't want to do that. That's why we talked about what we did this morning with the parable of the sower and how we are trying to reach people and influence people through our interactions with them. But while we're doing that, we can also be doing this as well. The church is described in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15 as the pillar and support of the truth. 
And we can uphold the truth, not just here, but we can support the truth wherever this influence can go. And with the internet, it can go all around the world and do that immediately. We have a large influence, a far-reaching influence that we have through these tools that are available to us. However, while we've talked about so far all of the potential good uses of social media and the internet, how we can reach others with the gospel, it's not all good. And I'm sure everyone, whether you use the internet or not, knew that I would eventually have to get here, that it's not all good. And in Paul's and others who were teaching the gospel, as they did this in the book of Acts, it wasn't always a positive reception they received when they preached the gospel. Here in Ephesus, Paul preached for this amount of time in the school of Tyrannus so that all who are in Asia heard the word of the Lord, but not everyone in Asia was happy about that. And so you have there in, in Ephesus a mob that forms, and it gets to the theater there in Ephesus. Acts chapter 19 and verse 26, you have Demetrius, who's a silversmith, trying to rally his fellow tradesmen, all of them together, because Paul, what he was doing, verse 26 says, he's persuading and turning away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. He is teaching people, and we see they're acknowledging the influence that he had. He's teaching everyone that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours followed to disrepute, this was probably Demetrius's primary motivation, but he makes it sound like it's secondary. But not only is there danger that this trade of ours followed to disrepute, but also that the temple of this great of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnific magnificence. When they heard this, they were filled with rage and began crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with confusion. They rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Also, some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. And some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews put him forward, having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all, as they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. We think about how people use social media, that would be a hashtag, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. But the, here you have in this crowd in Ephesus, these people were stirred up into a frenzy because they were led to believe that this trade of theirs was, was going to fall into disrepute, that they were going to lose their business, and that this goddess that they worshipped and that all the world worshipped, at least according to Demetrius, that this goddess would be dethroned, that no one would honor this goddess again. And so what did they do? They form an angry mob, they rush into the theater, they drag others with them, people who Paul's traveling companions. When you have Alexander who's put forth, they and thinking that, well, he's going to make a defense, but they find out he's a Jew, and so they don't even let him speak, they just shout him down. 
Notice what verse 32 says. They were shouting one thing, and some another. The assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. If you spend much time on certain forums online or comment sections, that, that describes what those look like. That people shout one thing and another, and everyone's in confusion, and no one knows really why they're there, but they have to be yelling. And they have to be angry at one another. And they have to make sure that if someone doesn't agree with them, that they get shouted down and you can't get in a word edgewise. Well, this is what happened in the theater in Ephesus. Paul wanted to go in there. Verse 30, the disciples would not let him. He would not do any good. Alexander tried to say something that he wasn't even able to speak. If Paul had gone in there, he would not have been able to speak either, would not have done any good. And so once this happened, after this uproar had ceased, chapter 20 and verse 1, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them, he'd taken their leave of them and left to go to Macedonia. He knew it wasn't going to do much more good here in Ephesus because no one's going to listen. He encouraged the disciples, exhorted them, but then he left to go to Macedonia. We can do a lot of good in our interactions with people online, but we need to recognize at the same time, there's sometimes some settings, some forums, some comment sections that we're not going to do any good. It's not going to be make any point for us to, to try to make comments and try to steer people to the truth because no one's going to be listening. No one's going to be paying attention Everyone's shouting one thing or another, and reason is not being used. Well, if people aren't willing to listen, then it's not going to do any good. The first four of these, what all of them had in common, the reason why they're different from the last one, is because you had people who were willing to listen. The last one, they weren't willing to listen. What we need to remember is when we interact with people, whether it's online or, again, it's not limited to that. Your interaction with people in person. If people aren't willing to listen, then we're not going to get anywhere with them. We need to find people who are willing to listen. That's why Jesus said in the parable of the sower, when he gave that, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. We need to be in our interactions with people in person and online. We need to be scattering the seed of the gospel and doing what we can to try to influence people for good. We need to, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6, we need to plant and water. He planted Apollos water, but he knew God is the one who gives the increase. We have a responsibility to plant the seed, to water the seed in every situation that we can, in every interaction that we have. Put that stone in someone's shoe and try to give them something to think about, even if they're not ready yet to talk more about it now. Give them something to think about. Show the influence and the example of a Christian. Make sure they know where they can turn if they do have questions later. When they are interested, make sure that they know that they can talk with you, that they are welcome here and that we can help lead them to the truth. So as we close the lesson, we want to extend the Lord's invitation to any who need to accept it, any who need to obey the gospel, to answer that call. If you are here and are not yet a Christian, 
we would encourage you to think about your condition. Think about the state of your soul before the Lord. And if you are here and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, and you are willing to repent of your sins and confess your faith, you can be baptized to have your sins washed away. And if you've done that, you've become a Christian and you've not been as faithful as you should, that you've allowed sin in your life, that you need to make some correction, then make that correction. As a Christian, you have the privilege of going to God directly. You can repent of your sins and pray to him and ask him for forgiveness. And you also have the ability to ask for the prayers and encouragement of your brethren as well. And if that's your need, we are here to assist you in that regard as well. But whatever your need is, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.